0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from WISE, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With WISE, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how WISE could work for you at WISE.com.
1: 50,000 investigations have been opened into alleged war crimes committed by Russian troops in Ukraine. 50,000 Hospital bombings, kidnappings, executions of unarmed Ukrainian civilians. 50,000 is a number that's hard to comprehend on its own. Oleksandra Matvichuk heads the Center for Civil Liberties. She's one of the recipients of this year's Nobel Peace Prize. She believes the numbers obscure the scale of the loss. Yes, I'm a professional human rights lawyer, but first of all, I'm human beings. And what I started to notice is that I started to use numbers instead names. Today, we bring you a story from NPR's investigations team, a story that tries to address these vast numbers by focusing on just one case, one war crime, one investigation, one story that might illuminate the challenge that war crimes prosecutors face all over Ukraine. NPR investigative correspondent Tim Mack was in the country from the very first days of the invasion as terrified Ukrainian civilians faced the Russian onslaught. He heard a rumor about a man who may have served in the French Foreign Legion brutally killed, his body lying in the streets of a village called Nova Bassan for 30 days, his car burnt to ashes right next to him. A warning that this report includes graphic descriptions of his killing. Tim traveled to Basan with his team to see the destroyed car where the body was rumored to have been found. A local administrator was able to point him toward a neighboring town where he said the dead man's mother lived. Her name was Oksana. Tim Mack takes the story from here.
2: When we got there, Oksana welcomed us into her home. You want coffee or tea? We sat in her kitchen. Oksana went to get a photograph of her son and put it on the table between us. Your son was in the French Foreign Legion, is that correct? What was his name? Uh,
1: Alexandr
2: Alexander. Alexander. Breus. After a stint in the French Foreign Legion, he returned to Ukraine before the war broke out. How old was Alexander? He was 28 years old. 28. years old.
1: Він загинув
2: she told me he died on the fifth day of the war, the morning of February 28th, on his way to evacuate his girlfriend and sister from Kiev. I she didn't know how Alexander was killed or who killed him. But she did have a video that showed the scene of the killing on the day of Alexander's death. So she played it for us. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Is that...
2: Watching the video, Oksana was overcome. And at the moment we watched it, we recognized that Alexander's killing was almost certainly a war crime. By all indications, he was an unarmed man in civilian clothes, brutally killed. The video shows a man lying on the ground. His left arm lies limp, and his right arm is curled up across what remains of his head. It looks like an execution. The man taking the video narrates what he's seeing. The Russians drove through, damn it, he says. On the video, Alexander's body is next to the same burnt-out, destroyed car we had seen near Novobasan. There's a large hole in the back door on the driver's side.
3: Poor
2: thing, says the man on the video. Oksana could no longer continue. I think we got to talk to his sister if she wants to talk, but I can stop this. Still, she wanted to show us one more thing.
0: Awesome.
2: Alexander's dog, Cliff. Cliff. Cliff? Yeah. I like Such a handsome dog, she says. Do you see how much he misses him? When we returned to Kyiv, we showed Oksana's video to an official in Ukraine's State Bureau of Investigation. He told us it was clearly a war crime. The man was not a threat, in civilian clothes, carrying no weapons, and apparently facing away from the direction of the Russian advance. Alexander's case was one case among many that overwhelmed investigators were juggling. So we kept digging on our own. Alexander's mother had told us to call his sister Anya. I can get some coffee. Anya and Alexander were very close and she sat down with us to tell us more about him.
0: He changed his mind uh, very often. Like... Today he wants to be a basketball player, tomorrow he wants to be a photographer, another day he wants to be a manager, and so on so on.
2: He even had a brief stint trying to be a rapper. (laughs) Alexander was also a passionate Ukrainian patriot, she says. He liked to debate Russians about history in online chats, about the differences between Ukrainians and Russians. He always watched uh, videos about uh, Ukrainian history. He told us all the time that Russians are awful people. Sasha Hrushko, one of Alexander's best friends, remembers Alexander was restless in his 20s. In 2018, he joined the French Foreign Legion. He was
3: looking for himself. He was looking for some realization. That's why he just found out himself in the French Legion.
2: A career in the military suited Alexander well. He thrived in stressful situations. I spoke to another friend of his, Boris, a legionnaire who served with him with the help of an interpreter. So
1: he was a very calm, collected person. He was able to deal very easily with tough situations. He was very level-headed, cool-headed. He didn't have that many friends, but when he had one, he... Had intense friendships.
2: Everyone described Alexander as a loyal friend. He was in the Legion for four years. Ultimately, Alexander left the French military in late 2021 after getting permanent residency status in France. Boris also told us about Alexander's girlfriend, Yulia. We reached out to her, but she was too overwhelmed by grief to speak with us. Yulia and Alexander had tried to have a long distance relationship, but it wasn't easy. Still, Alexander was committed to the relationship.
3: So
1: I am sure he, that he wanted to propose, but I think that he wanted to do things well and he didn't want to rush things.
2: So, a month before the war broke out, he decided to head back to his home country and back to Yulia. Boris shared a series of voice recordings between him and Alexander talking about it. Here's Alexander.
3: Well, yes, I think He told Boris he was worried about the relationship, but he
2: wanted to make it work. After he returned to Ukraine, he and Yulia began to reconcile. And Alexander began seriously talking to his friends about proposing. But on February 24th, Russia surprised many Ukrainians by doing what had once been unthinkable.
0: That's what it sounded like in Kyiv this morning as
2: Ukrainians faced down the reality of a Russian invasion. In the chaos, Alexander brought his dog Clifford to his childhood home in Bobrovitsa. He planned to head back to the capital city, some two hours away, to evacuate his girlfriend and sister. But during the first week of the war, the Ukrainian government instituted a multi-day curfew in Kyiv, preventing him from getting back to them. The uncertain, anxious situation brought him to tears, Anya recalled. He was disappointed because he
0: wanted to arrive to Yulia as soon as possible. And uh, he stayed at Bobrovica for two days.
2: And there was another thing. Russian forces were on the move. By February 28th, four days into the invasion, Alexander began his journey towards Kiev. And so did the Russian forces.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. We are bringing you a story today from our investigations team in Ukraine. NPR's Tim Mack has been looking into the death of Oleksandr Buryos, a war crime during the Russian invasion, to try to find out how he died and who killed him. Back to Tim.
2: Alexander left his childhood home at around 8 a.m., shortly after the curfew in Kyiv was lifted. His mother saw him off. He was wearing a pair of white Nikes and loose-fitting green pants. While he was driving, his dad called to check in on him.
3: I called him. I asked, where are you? He said, I'm at a checkpoint and see you call. I told Sasha, please, Sasha, please, don't go there. Don't go. Head back. He said, okay, okay, and hung up.
2: His father was in eastern Ukraine fighting the Russian advance. It's unclear exactly where Alexander was at the time. That's the only thing we talked about, and that's the last time we spoke. Somewhere between 9 and 10 a.m. that morning, a number of people in the village heard a large explosion. Tatiana Barashovitz works at a local supermarket, which closed early as Russian forces pressed deeper into their village. She decided to make a dash home on her bicycle. And as she rode home, she saw a car on fire. A body was laying next to it, in the middle of the road.
0: I stopped. I wanted to check if he was alive, but it was obvious that he wasn't. I didn't see the head, but the hand and legs were twisted unnaturally.
2: Alexander's green pants were partially burnt off, exposing blackened flesh below the knee. His white Nike sneakers were nowhere to be seen. The fire had burned them off.
0: I started trembling, thinking why would they kill a person like that. I started crying. My husband was waiting for me, but I couldn't ride the bicycle anymore.
2: That evening, Anya Breus hadn't heard from her brother. It had been hours— she began posting on social media and asking if anyone had seen him. I wrote up a missing person post with a photo of my brother in his car and where he was heading. That night, a stranger passed the video of the crime scene to Anya Breus. It had been circulating on social media. After she forwarded it to Alexander's best friend, Trushko, he had no doubt it was Alexander.
3: Just seen his body, it's enough. There's nothing to be discussed. I just you just you just feel it.
2: We knew much more about the crime than when we'd first started who Alexander was. We'd met his family, his friends, his dog. We knew why he was on the road and roughly when he died. But still, we knew almost nothing about the essential question for war crimes prosecutors. How was he killed? For that, we would need an eyewitness. We canvassed houses in Nova for potential eyewitnesses, but many homes weren't occupied. But then, a breakthrough. A man approached us. I want to show you what they did to my house, he said. His name was Alexander Holod. We'd knocked on his door before, but he hadn't been home. This time, he invited us in. His place, which stood across the street from the wreckage of Alexander's vehicle, was dusty and dark inside. No electronics, no carpeting, and since the war, an empty dwelling. Hollett had something important to tell us. He said he was an eyewitness to the killing, and began describing what he saw on the morning of February 28th, as the column of Russian armored vehicles descended on his village.
3: I, just, I simply heard the noise, the increasing noise they're coming. Okay, the first column that I saw, it was five BTRs on the distance from one another. As
2: the Russian forces entered the area, he saw soldiers leave armored vehicles known as BTRs and spread out throughout the neighborhood. Later, he saw a man's car coming from the direction of Bobrovitsa. It was Alexander's car, the same burnt-out car right outside his home. Three BTRs were ahead of Alexander on the road, and he pulled up alongside the fourth.
3: He stopped the car, he exited the car, and he stood like on in a, in a full scale, and he started to quarrel with them about something. He started to say to them something like, what are you doing here, and why are you doing this?
2: As Alexander was talking, two soldiers positioned themselves behind him. One of the soldiers had a machine gun, and another an assault rifle. The one with the rifle was tall, Holod said. And then, without warning, the soldier opened fire on Alexander.
3: So the guy fell. On the road. Brain brain splashed and blood. (inaudible) And the BTR, the the number four that was standing here, it turned the turret and hit the car.
2: (inaudible) That shot from the BTR destroyed the car. And that's what Holod said happened to Alexander. Alexander's body lay in the street for a month as his family desperately tried to retrieve him. But the tide of war was changing. At the beginning of April, Ukrainian forces made their way into Nova Basan, meaning it was finally possible to retrieve Alexander's body. We had pieced together what happened to Alexander. Finding his killers was going to be more difficult, But the smallest things can lead to a breakthrough. On Facebook, we found one more video taken from Nova Basan. It showed Russian forces moving through the village on the day Alexander was killed. So we tracked down the woman who took it. Olena Bondarenko, along with her small dog, welcomed us into the furniture store where she works in Kyiv. (laughs) After the war started, Bondarenko fled the capital city for the home her family owned in Nova Pasan, hoping there would be less fighting in the small village. On the morning of Alexander's death, she stood outside in a state of shock as armored vehicles rolled by. And she showed us a second video she took. As vehicles pass by, an armed soldier appears in the frame and aims a rifle at her, causing her to gasp before firing off shots in her direction. She drops to the floor, and her father pulls her away. Later, she noticed something unusual about the vehicles
3: on the video.
1: They were new tanks with the letter O. On TV, they were only talking about Z and V. I told the Ukrainian military about these vehicles with the letter O. They were totally different. It was a different type of armored vehicle, and they wore a different colored uniform.
2: That O-marking on the armored vehicle in Elena's video was crucial to understanding which Russian units were on the ground. We reached out to every corner of the Ukrainian government we thought might be able to help us find the units in Nova Intelligence agencies, police, prosecutors, and we showed them what we'd found. They told us that the letter O meant that the vehicles were from units in Russia's central military district. In that district, there were some prime suspects, the specific units were the 15th, the 21st, and the 30th. We needed more help to find out the exact brigades that were in Nova Bassan the day Alexander was killed. There are people who track military equipment just by scouring all the information that's publicly available. People like Tom Bullock. He's an analyst at Jane's, a company that monitors militaries all around the world.
0: Part of my work when I started this was building out Guides for how to identify different Russian military units.
2: He said that the damage to Alexander's car in the videos matches Holod's story.
0: So something similar to the BTR's cannon could probably do similar damage.
2: So it would be reasonable if we had an eyewitness who said that the BTR fired on this car, that this is consistent with the damage that you see. Yes. Next we showed him Olena Bondarenko's videos of the Russian vehicles. Much like cars. BTRs come in all sorts of models.
0: So in this video, you're seeing the rear of a BTR-82A.
2: 82A. We had another clue. And it was a crucial one.
0: The fact that we can identify that that's a BTR-82 type A is significant because there's only two brigades that actually field that equipment. And those are the 15th and the 30th brigade.
2: George Barrows has also been tracking Russian units daily. He works for the Institute for the Study of War. Both of our experts agreed. The armored vehicles model revealed a lot about what was going on in Nova Basan that day. Russian military doctrine suggests that these BTRs and these brigades, the 15th and the 30th, would have been used for clearing operations.
0: They're walking down the main stretch of the village, what it looks like, and they're checking, you know, house to house, they're peeking over fences, and what they're probably doing is it's a clearing operation. It felt like a
2: breakthrough. We had found the units that were most likely responsible for Alexander's death. And inside those units was the person that pulled the trigger. How close could we get to him? The Russian troops in Nova Basan were not wearing insignia or patches that identified who they were or where they came from.
0: I think what's useful to say is the Russian ground force that actually deployed to around Ukraine back in February was like 120,000 people.
2: We were trying to find just one of those 120,000 soldiers. But we narrowed our list of suspects to just two units, which had far fewer soldiers.
0: So that means that we can narrow it down to a discrete pool of, we're looking at one to eight battalions, which narrows down the search quite significantly.
2: Yeah, so we we can narrow it down to about 4,000 people? Roughly, yeah. 4,000 soldiers. Somewhere in that group was the person we were looking for. Our eyewitness, Holod, said he saw five BTRs in the immediate vicinity when Alexander was killed. Each vehicle has a capacity of 10 soldiers. So, the killer was among a group of about 50 people who passed through Nova Basan on the morning of February 28th. But we'd reached our limit. We couldn't get the actual names of those 50. We could name one person, the military officer who was officially responsible for the units.
0: It's very clear that at that point in time in Nova Basan we saw significant elements in that area, likely commanded by Russian Colonel General Alexander Lapin.
2: Alexander Lapin, the man in charge of those who killed Alexander and blew up his car. If all of the killings and shootings around Nova Bassan are compiled, investigators could argue that the atrocities were systematic and widespread, and the responsibility of the commander. They could prosecute him for war crimes— For now, we couldn't narrow it down any further. Even though we had spent months conducting close to 100 interviews and developing sources. And this was just for one war crime. There are around 50,000 war crimes under investigation in Ukraine. It's an overwhelming task. Roman Avramenko heads the Ukrainian NGO Truth Hands, which documents and investigates war crimes.
0: Yeah, frankly speaking, I think it's not possible to establish justice for all the cases of war crimes committed in the course of full-scale invasion.
2: So it falls to Ukrainian investigators to show that individual war crimes are part of a larger pattern. But the Ukrainian system is swamped, and there are signs that Ukraine and the world will fall short, stifled by a lack of resources, the sheer number of cases, and the degradation of evidence during war. Alexander's story illustrates all of these aspects— Four months after Alexander was killed, we went with his sister and mother to his grave. There were violets around the dirt mound where his body lay at rest. That day, Alexander's mother remembered one more thing about her son. Last
3: year, when Alexander, he was returning home, he was flying through Netherlands. And uh, he knew that I love flowers, so he had some spare time, and he bought me those tulips, seeds there, and this year, 10 out of 10, all of them they bloomed. So they bloomed exactly on the Mother's Day and they were blooming exactly for 21 days.
2: Dutch tulips blooming after his death. Mack, NPR News
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort, with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at StearnsAndFoster.com. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase— And an opportunity the opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper how to actually take that dream trip that's on the life kit
0: podcast from npr on wait wait don't tell me we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things here's u.s treasury secretary janet yellen uh we are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to a macroeconomic policy, is mobile games.
1: Uh, there is some truth in that.
0: There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.